welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man whose Summer Slam was last Tuesday. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing all right, Kieran. Uh, I was never never into the pro wrestling growing up, so this whole Summer Slam thing was a little bit foreign to me. You know, I am the same, and I was actually thinking earlier today, I was like, you know, we did a lot of things in college, watched a lot of games, you know, pay-per-view for boxing occasionally, Super Bowl parties. I don't know if we ever had one conversation about wrestling. I don't... No, <laughs> this is our first of all time, really. And look, I'm not like an anti-professional you know, professional wrestling guy. I appreciate the athleticism associated with those acts and all that stuff, but it was just never really... I could never get into it because I didn't really care about the backstories. I just wanted to see guys jump and fall and hit and all that stuff. And it was a little too far in between for my taste. But I don't judge anybody if that's your thing. And hopefully uh, the city of Detroit put on a good show for this, just as they did Taylor Swift and and all that stuff. And the show for the Tigers wasn't that great. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, the first thing, Cody, we got to talk. You know, we, we did a podcast right after the trade deadline. And, and the drama associated with that, and of course, it was it was centered on Eduardo Rodriguez and not wanting to go to Los Angeles. And I feel like we've gotten like some clarity since then, but also not necessarily clarity I believe in. We'll get to that again in just one second. But since you were boots on the ground, you were in Miami, then you were in Pittsburgh, you were there the whole time, obviously in Detroit now. Uh, you, you heard from Eduardo, you've heard since from AJ, teammates, vibes, all that stuff. I'm just kind of curious, like, how is this playing in the days since with Eduardo and, and again, like, Scott Harris and AJ Hinch and even teammates? Is there anything you can kind of share with us, but more, I guess, more specifically, Eduardo Rodriguez talking to the media and kind of explaining to the extent that he would uh, his side of the story. Uh, gosh, yeah. I mean, you know, Eduardo talked after his start in Pittsburgh. I sent the audio to my colleague, Ken Rosenthal, and I was like, here is Eduardo providing no clarity on anything at all. So that was really the gist of Eduardo's interview. It sounded like he was uh, repeating a, a coached line. I don't know if it was from his agent or PR or, or maybe his own brain, but it was kind of like – uh, I wasn't comfortable with the details of the trade, so I said no for me and my family. And I'm sure that that is, at the end of the day, kind of the gist of how we got to this situation. But, you know, press for some more specifics. Was this personal? Was this financial? Um, when did you know a trade was on the horizon? How was the conversation with the Tigers? We got really no additional insight from Eduardo. Um, you know, he handled himself fine. He stood there and he answered the questions. Um, so I guess, you know, you know, I guess that's all good, but I think there are still a lot more things that people want to know. Now, luckily Ken Rosenthal did bring some things to light in the story he wrote on the Eduardo Rodriguez saga. It was centered largely around, I think the, the extra concessions that Eduardo and his agent were seeking from the Dodgers. Sounds like there might have been multiple things involved. The one Ken was able to report was an extra year at $20 million tacked on to Eduardo's contract if he were to opt in. So it would be this year and then an opt-in or opt-out for four years and $69 million. 
for whatever reason, that was not able to get done, and Eduardo nixed the trade. Now, I'm sure the personal factors still did play a part here, but it was a reminder there was more than just the personal um, situation. If you kind of read between the lines in Ken's story, and probably in some of what we talked about last week, uh, you get the sense this deal really started going south, I think, when Eduardo's agent, Gene Mato, entered the picture. You know, and I will go ahead and say, we, we talked about Gene Mato a little bit last year when Eduardo was going through his personal saga. And I, I think this guy's agent has done him no favors in the past two years. Okay, His camp was not out in front with a, any sort of messaging strategy for the things that Eduardo went through last year that led to a lot of speculation, led to... A bad look for Eduardo when he was not in contact with the team and they were talking about voiding his contract at one point or when at least that was kind of like speculated upon. And then this time around, as we said, you know what? Eduardo Rodriguez has every right to void the trade like he did to exercise his contractual no trade clause. He's not the villain, as Scott Harris said. He, like he shouldn't be. But he comes off looking bad because why did this ever get as far down the road as it did? And then when it when this did happen, it, it was not really explained well. It still kind of hasn't been explained well. You know, I heard from a couple of people that like there are GMs in the league who probably aren't going to be lining up to take a shot on Eduardo Rodriguez right now. And I don't even think that's the player's fault. He went through a personal situation and he exercised his contractual right. People like his agent should be there to help him out with the messaging, with the the public relations aspect of this. And, and that hasn't happened. So I think one of the things we learned is that, look, no one comes out looking good here. The Tigers don't. The Dodgers don't. I'm not sure Eduardo does. And I think a lot of people are to blame. I don't think Scott Harris is blameless at all. Uh, but I think the agent played a big role in not only this deal going south, but this deal going south in such a weird way um, that we're still talking about it right now. All right, so the next day or two days later, G. Motto put out a statement, and I'm going to read it basically in its entirety because I want the context here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Still recovering from a cold. I negotiated a no-trade clause in his contract for a reason. By the way, hell of a lead there. I respect that. Like, <laughs> for a reason. With all the money, glamour, and fame that comes with being a professional athlete, there's also a very difficult personal side. Many players' wives and their children suffer a lot of instability in their lives, especially when their spouses get traded. I do not take that lightly. Eduardo is one of the best left-handed starting pitchers in baseball, but he is also a human being who wants stability for his family. They are comfortable living in the Detroit area and have adjusted well. As for the Dodgers in particular, once I was granted permission to speak with them regarding the trade, we did our best to come up with a way to make it happen where everyone was comfortable with the outcome. Unfortunately, we just ran out of time. There are a couple of things in there that I think are, that, that I like, that are cool. Like, hey, I negotiated this, we exercised our right against, like, the team. Like, I respect that. I respect the hell out of that. I think the, uh... You know, we ran out of time thing is just, I don't know, I'm not sure why you really end it like that, you know. It, I think the last graph completely contradicted the first two graphs, which were pretty good. And then the last paragraph almost invalidated it. You're right. Okay, it's funny you say that, because I said this 
And I didn't know that Ken was going to report the next day or two days later or whatever. I was like, there's ways to get around no trade clauses. Like, if, like I, I, I said, and I was probably one of the few, that the Dodgers also bear responsibility. Because, by the way, if you're a Dodgers fan, you're probably thinking, why didn't you just get the deal done? It could have been that hard. Like, if you're, like, it, like, we're, obviously, we're the Dodgers. Every year, we're capable of winning a World Series. So, like, they could have gotten done if they wanted to. I think that's fair and all this, like, Scott Harris, oh, totally. Scott Harris, you know, fumbled the bag and Eduardo this or whatever. The Dodgers, if they wanted to get it done, could have got it done. So, I, I think that needs to be said a couple times. But you're right about this last paragraph where it's like, we really want the first two paragraphs. We have this right. We're comfortable here. We want to stay here. Also, the Dodgers couldn't meet our demands, which I kind of respect just kind of putting it out there because that is the reality of the situation. And in regards to Eduardo and the family thing, like I'm not going to criticize a dude that wants to make things easier for his family like in whatever fashion that is like I, I i'm not that that that's not the point of contention for me i think there's a very legitimate argument to be made that it's not that big of an adjustment you can you know it's only going to be a couple months like overall it'll be okay but if that's your prerogative that's your prerogative and we can kind of get into the scott harris aspect of how maybe he could have like gone around it you know whatever but in regards to the one-year $20 million thing, it's weird that the Dodgers would balk at that, to be honest, to me. Because if you're trading for him, you're anticipating an opt-out. If he wants the extra year and the extra $20 million tacked on the end of the contract just in case he opts in... I'm pretty sure Eduardo Rodriguez in four years is going to be worth $20 million. Because salaries are only going to go up, and he's going to age well. I mean, what's the conversation about extending Eduardo Rodriguez from a Tigers perspective? He's a, he's the type of pitcher, left-hander, not overpowering stuff, that ages well, right? That's the whole argument in, for doing it. You... Tack on the extra year, an extra $20 million. By the time you get there, you can buy him out. You can do this. You might be able to trade him again. Like if the like I said, if the Dodgers really wanted him, they could have gotten him. I would have been like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'll, if I'm the Dodgers, yeah, sure, whatever. I'll worry about that in a year, two years, three years, whatever. It just, if he does not exercise his opt-out. So to me, that felt really weird. And then to, to, to kind of bring it back to a Tigers perspective, I, I hung out a little bit today with my father. And, and, and he's, you know, he's reading the headlines and he's, he's not as in depth as like Tiger's Twitter, you and I are or whatever, but he's like, oh yeah, it's so cool that, you know, at Rodriguez wanted, you know, he said he wants to win in Detroit and, you know, I didn't want to break his spirit. So I was like, yeah, you know, that, you know, that's something, but I'll tell you something. I've been at bars where I've laid it on way less thick on the single ladies and Eduardo Rodriguez was laying it on with the city of Detroit and the Tigers organization because I, that's not even a double down. That's like a triple down, a quadruple down about like wanting to be in Detroit, loving the Tigers, wanting to be a winner or whatever. He was laying it on so thick that I was just like, like, I don't like, you know, like I want to believe him just because, you know, that 
that would be great. But at the same time, it's like, God, dude, like, can you really, like, facilitate this lie? We're going to go back to this if he opts out. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're going to know for sure how truthful this is. Because if he out. opts in, maybe Scott uh, Harris yeah, is, like, a little really bit of a winner. You be. Maybe you just pick in that option, right? <laughs> right? Maybe so. Um, and we did talk about the idea of an extension and everything last week. And the more I've thought about it, man, I don't – I think if he opts out, you let him walk. I think the Tigers risk compounding their mistake by signing him to a big year, big deal, you know, 20 mil plus for four or five years, whatever it might be. And I, I, I get where you're coming from with the Dodgers thing, but a lot of teams were already scared off by that opt out. And I think you tackle on a fourth year, 20 million, the downside risk increased just enough for the Dodgers to be like, yeah, no, we don't actually want to do that. We're not actually comfortable with it. And I think that's understandable. Like, I think, although I do think Eduardo should opt out, although I do think he should get a pay raise, I'm not sure a team that's still a little bit away from contention, uh, that's already had a couple weird experiences with this guy, I don't know what's, if it's in their best interest to go spend, you know, whatever it may be, five years, $100 million, something to that effect, one Eduardo Rodriguez, when there are a long list of other good starting pitchers who are going to be on the market next year. Okay, well, so let's play that out. Just and if he really wants to be here, if he really wants to be here, then then maybe he won't opt out, and then you get him for three forty nine, and and then maybe deal. everybody's happy. Yeah. Well, let's just kind of play it out like a little bit here, like. But that would again be terrible agenting from Gene Motto. You got to go get your client the money yeah. while it's there. Again, because if he opts out, that's his last bag opportunity, right? So, like, Probably so he's so. got... Which is, again, why I think he should opt out, because he can probably get a four- or five-year deal, get a couple more extra years security if he does it at age 31, 32. But is there... Is, is it, like, actually a thing that, like, the hesitation on the trade market for him... Some of that plays out in free agency. I'm not necessarily even meaning it from the Tigers' perspective specifically. Just like in general, like, are we just assuming a bigger market than necessarily yeah. what, what would be there because of the weird thing? Because like, I, I don't want to bring this up as a knock against him, but like, you know, the when he he missed a year with the COVID, the myocarditis, like, like that's that's on his resume. You know what I mean? That's not anti him, but it's on his resume. So it's like you miss a year with a heart condition. You miss you miss time with some personal stuff. You have a very bizarre injury in 2023. And then this kind of like you don't want to go anywhere west. Like in theory, that could limit the market if he plays that out later. Yeah. So is no, this, is his market this... maybe lesser than what we would just assume just based on his player profile, all those other things? And that is another thing that's gone a little bit unspoken. One more complicating factor in the Eduardo Rodriguez saga, even you know, even if he does opt out. Um, yeah, I think it's in- entirely possible that he devalued himself over the last two years through his personal matters and especially through this last saga, where, as I said, I think there are a couple GMs out there who are going to feel leery about bringing him into their clubhouse mix. It's possible he's uh, X'd out the entire West Coast. You know, those are very much things that can work against him. Spending teams over But I, I, I've, I've looked at this the whole time, like, what's the most logical baseball business 
decision. I think it's him opting out, and then you look at it. Yeah, he's had a lot of weird stuff go on, but his last three full seasons, uh, so we're going to exclude 2022 because it wasn't really a full season, and he didn't play in 2020. So 2019, 3.7 F4. Uh, 2021, 3.9 wins above replacement. 2023, right now he's at 2.4. He'll probably finish around three. This guy's been a three win wins above replacement starting pitcher each of his past three seasons. That's a pretty good recipe for a guy to get paid. No, for sure. And I'm not predicting a diminished market, but I do think it's on the board. I I, 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 I do think right. it is something of somewhat of a possibility. But I think it's possible that all four or five teams in the AL East, he would fit. I mean, that he fit sure. them all kind of at the trade deadline, you know? So maybe he doesn't need the West Coast. Because look at Baltimore. They got money to spend. They need a starter. Yankees, God knows what's going on there. Red Sox, if they were... A little bit more in the mix. Could have been making offers for him at the trade deadline. Uh, Blue Jays seem to always need a little bit of help. I don't know if the Rays would want to spin, but, you know, there's, there's we're seeing signs they could start getting a little more aggressive and they could use a left-handed starter. So I still think the guy's going to get paid. Yeah, and again, deservedly so. Like, lost in the sauce of all this stuff is that, like, you know, like the ticker stats, you know, pretty dang good. Pretty dang good. Like, good. like, and he's a good pitcher. And so then I'm like, okay, so are, are we sure the Tigers shouldn't just re-sign him then or restructure the contract? And then it's like, well, there is the innings thing. He's only crossed 150 innings twice, only thrown more than 157 innings once. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's going to be 31. So he's not old, but he's not young either. He's never had major arm issues, but he's missed a lot of time. But that means less um, mileage on the I, arm. I, just, I like, just think this thing, I just think this thing's damaged. Like, I just think it's going to be, makes sense for both sides to move on. And I, and again, there are some other good pitchers who I'm actually, actually I'm going to feel a little safer with, especially especially if the Tigers aren't really trying to push to contend next season. I mean, I'm not anti-Eduardo in any fashion, so I don't want this statement to come across like, you know, get out of here, guy. But, like, I'd be cool if he just, like, walked and the Tigers moved on because, again, like, doubling down on the mishap of not being able to trade him and then the uncertainty that comes with him and his time with the Tigers and then, you know, some other stretches of his career. Like... I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying, like, at a certain point, you just got to be able to kind of move on and, and, and reset. And especially, this was not a Scott Harris signing. That's something that other, a lot of people aren't, bring, aren't bringing up. I'm sure he values what Eduardo brings to the team, but, like, is he going to try to keep him, You exhaust every resource to keep him if he opts out? I doubt it because Scott's probably like, all right, here's another kind of thing that I can put my imprint on the team. Yeah. So it's interesting. You know, would I do Eduardo for three three years, 49 million? Yeah. And would I do Eduardo? Maybe he tipped, tipped a little bit what he's looking for with the Dodgers ask. Would I do four for 69 million? Like, still sounds I think pretty I would. good. I would. If we're talking five, a hundred, like, I think that's where I get out. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's going to depend on the ask and depend on the market a little bit. If he, if he just, if they decided to be straight up, unlike it seems like they were this whole time and say, Hey, give me another year at 20 million. Let's call it good. I'd do that. 
Like I don't, I then, don't. Then, then you know what? Yeah. Then all right, four more years of E Rod. You know. Yeah. So. And 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 at that point, again, like you're not gonna be lamenting that price years down the line. Assuming, assuming like you know health, you know all these things. But in terms of like player performance and what the going rate would be for a guy, even projecting him out at that time. I just don't think that's going to be something that it's going to be holding you back. And, you know, financially, baseball, you'd never be held back. But you know what I'm saying. Like, that, that that's part of it. Uh, Scott Harris. Not coming across that great in, uh, in, in his post-first trade deadline. I think he should get credit for the Michael Lorenzen deal. I think there's very fair pushback to how he handled the Eduardo Rodriguez situation because, again, if they had... Well, well, correct me if I'm wrong because, you know, these reports can be all over the place. But it seems to me that they had, like, a framework of a deal well before... I say well before the deadline, but with enough time before the deadline to be able to pivot if they needed to. And obviously, uh, that didn't happen. And... He didn't trade, like, the Cisneros of the world. He didn't trade the Langs of the world, which, you know, Turnbull, and we'll loop them in. It's like, Arian Bally's not necessarily the highest right now. But there were other moves that could have been made that he did not make. And then you've reported, you've said on this pod, others have reported that he was asking for the moon uh, coming into the trade deadline, and that might have rub some other GMs, president of baseball ops the wrong way. And then he had to kind of face the music talking to the media a little bit. So how would you kind of say how Scott Harris, like, comes, like, how is he after his first post-trade deadline? Because we, I think we learned some things here, uh, just like his first offseason, just like his first, you know, you know, press conference and, and all these yeah. things. I, I think we've learned some things. I think we learned there's some growth here for him. I think mean, that's fair to say. Yeah, I think where I ultimately land on the whole Erod situation is like Eduardo's kind of an enigma. His agent seems to be rather, uh, what's the word? Like inconsistent. And a scattered. The combination of those two factors combine to expose some of Scott Harris's inexperience. That's kind of how I feel about it. I, I still have a hard time thinking Brian Cashman let something like that happen or name, you know, XGM allows this situation to go down the way it went down. The interesting thing I think is the whole, should he have had a plan B? And personally, I like to think, yeah, like, yeah, you still got to move Eduardo. It's a little bit tough to know without being in the room, without knowing how many teams or what offers were actually on the table. Like, where do you draw the line? If some team gives you just an absolute scrub of a pitcher. Should you say like, yes, you know, something is better than nothing. Like a guy that's never going to make the major leagues. Like probably not. But where, you know, where is that line? I don't know. What I've heard from some people around the Tigers the past few days is that like they really believe there was no, just no market. You know, they they took the one route they could, which they knew was a difficult route because they, they felt like it's all they can do. And I think there's some other in the league, others in the league who are very skeptical of that. Like, really? And and so I'm like, it, again, it's tough to know. Even if there really was no plan B, like, 
it's still, I think, hard to defend Scott Harris because you had a valuable trade asset, your most valuable trade asset, an organization that needs talent. And at the end of the day, you did not move this asset. Now you risk losing them for nothing. I think any other factors, any anything else that went one behind the scenes, like is just kind of mute because it's, at, at the end of the day, it's black and white. That's how I feel about it. Um, but it's, you know, I, I try to put myself in Scott's shoes, like the Dodgers deal, it doesn't work. And you call the Orioles or the Rays or whoever, and they're like, yeah, we'll like, we'll give you, you know, a utility infielder who's in rookie ball and like weighs 145 pounds. You doing that? Like, probably not. You know, would I do it for something? I like to think I would have got something. And that, that is, that goes back to like, all we heard from Al Avila every year was like, oh, well, there's no market. There's clearly a skill involved in creating markets. Could argue maybe Scott did that by agreeing to a trade with the Dodgers. It just didn't get through. Um, so, like, I don't know. I Well, I think it, could talk I myself think, in I think it's fair to say. At the end of the day, it's a failure. Yeah. At the end of the day, it doesn't look good on Scott. I think I, doesn't mean that it's going to define his tenure, but it's probably the biggest moment he's faced so far. Yeah. and. At the end of the day, he, he took it. I think it's fair to say that the Eduardo situation with all of these factors that we've talked about was kind of close to a one of one. Uh, you yeah. know, just again, I'm not just talking about the clause. I'm talking about the things that he's gone through and all that stuff. So that's a unique situation. I think it's fair to say. I think it's also fair to say that if this was a pass fail, as of now, and the grade right. could be changed. Like, Eduardo could not opt out, and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. So the grade could be changed. But this was a pass-fail. It's hard to say that it's a pass. So I, I think... No, it's a fail. And unfortunately, I think unfortunately for Scott, this yeah. was like a pass-fail course. Yeah. And again, the Lorenzen deal, I think you kind of maximize the Lorenzen situation, which we talked about last totally. Which we talked about last totally. week. And by the way, mm-hmm. Lorenzen, good for him, had a nice first outing with the Phillies. So, like, I think that's worth noting. The, the other thing that kind of, like, percolated out, and probably no one paid attention to it, like, baseball-wide, but this whole Jake Rogers thing was kind of interesting, too, Cody. Like... Mm-hmm was like i like it was it was a i think it was one of those names that like jake rogers has kind of been the hey what about with like extensions you know with this team and then the same conversation would be had with like what about you know with trades could he be a part of a trade and 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 he to his credit talked about kind of being a little bit in limbo there, and I'll tell you, I'll just say this for me. I'm glad he wasn't a part of any trade because, like, I'm not overrating Jake Rogers, but it seems like he's good in the clubhouse. I think his hitting profile is fine for a catcher. I'm not saying he's a catcher of the future for the next 10, 15 years or anything like that, but I think he's the kind of guy that you keep around the clubhouse until... uh maybe until his baseball skills deteriorate because he's just, he just seems like a good guy to have around. You can upgrade it at, you're going to have opportunities to upgrade that position, but you don't have to upgrade a Jake Rogers. It's kind of like how I, I, I look at him. I'm glad he wasn't moved just so there'd be another deal or thrown into a deal that I'm not sure the return would have been netted as much as what he brings to the field and the clubhouse. 
Yeah, to be clear, Jake had told the reporters that his his agent gave him a heads up, hey, I've heard your name out there. So Jake was a little bit, you know, maybe felt on ice going into the trade deadline. Um, I had never heard, you know, anything of that nature. Um, I have no indication that they were ever like close to a deal. I think a lot of things get thrown out at the trade deadline. There was enough that it got back to Jake's agent. So that is interesting. Uh, the Tigers had Donnie Sands and Alex Fajardo on standby in Erie. You know, they moved him from Toledo to Erie so they could be close to Pittsburgh in case they need to call him up. So that indicates maybe there was something going on with the catcher. But, I mean, I had a, I had a major league scout hit me up about Eric Haas. And was like, hey, our team could use some catching help. Like, do you think it's just mental with this guy? Because I know he has power when he gets hot. Like. And I don't know that they were ever trade, close to trading Haas either. I think that's a, just a, a prime example of uh, a lot of names, a lot of ideas can get thrown around. I'm sure there were a couple teams looking for catching help that naturally were like, oh, the Tigers got this guy who's pretty good. And then maybe they're even like, oh, his backup who's doing terrible right now, like he still hit 20 homers like a couple times, you know. Uh, I think it would make no sense for the Tigers to actually entertain anything with Jake Rogers because – He's kind of been a blueprint for what it's going to take to have some success here. A guy who's who's worked hard and um, has just played winning baseball all year. He's playing top-tier defense. He walks. He hits for some power. Um, he's having the best season by a Tigers catcher since Alex Avila in 2012. The guy on Twitter who's like, oh, but he's hitting 216. Like, okay. Tell like, on yourself. Get, get with the times <laughs> here. Like, let, let's get with the times. He's, he's going to probably have at least a two-wins-above replacement season. Um, that's hard to do at catcher. It's hard to find someone who can do that at catcher. And Jake's just been the source of a lot of positivity in a year where you can't find that from a lot of other sources. He's still young, still controllable. So I, I doubt they were ever close to moving him right now. You, you couldn't be happier about your catching situation the next couple years, knowing suddenly you feel really good about Jake and you can probably add, you know, someone else after this year to, to compliment Jake. You could add somebody. I mean, we haven't, I mean, and me personally, I haven't done any sort of like Dingler update or whatever, but like, you know, I'm not writing him off, you know? So, no, he's, so yeah. there's, so yeah, you're right about the catcher situation being healthy. And I feel like just generally speaking, a move with Rogers would have been one of those, like, did you have to? Did you really have to? And there's a lot of extracurriculars that bring him uh, that he brings that are valuable to the clubhouse. You, you, you know, actually, speaking of Jake Rogers, the, this little trade stuff kind of got me thinking a little bit about some guys that I would say coming into the year we were uncertain of. I, I'm, I'm actually not sure how to kind of classify this group of players and like the guys that were like the Victor Reyes, Willie Castro's of two years ago, if, if, if that makes sense, where it's like we're kind of clinging to a little bit. Can they have some sort of role? I'm not saying like a starting role, but like is there a role for them to be had moving forward, or at least can we anticipate that's a legit possibility? I think Jake Rogers was very much into that mix coming into the year because, I mean, Worth mentioning, the guy's coming back from Tommy John. We haven't really mentioned that in a while, but he, he, he's come back from Tommy John, and he, he he looks great. You know, you mentioned the defense. Like, feel very confident with him behind the pay, 
behind the plate in all aspects of the duties of a catcher. But a guy that kind of also is in that mold, and he wasn't involved in trade talks or anything, but he was recently traded. Matt Veerling. Matt Veerling is kind of quietly having a pretty solid season. Like, he's looking like a guy that... I mean, I was telling my wife uh, earlier today because he had that inside-out single in Sunday's game. I was like, you know, I'm not sure if he's a starter, like a penciled-in starter next year. But I do know this guy's going to have a role. I do know this guy will have a role for the team next season. And, you know, not really thinking more than two years out with anything with this team. But but Matt Vierling quietly... As I pull up the stats real quick, you know, he's he's worth nearly one war on the baseball reference. Seven home runs, batting 271, versatile on defense. You'd maybe like to see a little bit more of his speed utilized. But in terms of just, again, life's about expectations, right? You know, seems like a guy who's, if Maton was the, like close to the level of Veerling right now, and Veerling was doing his thing, we'd be talking about that trade a lot differently. And there'd probably be some more wins on this Tigers team. But I think Matt Veerling looks like a guy who is going to be a part of the Tigers going forward. And whatever role. Not overrating it. Not saying he's a corner outfielder starter or replace Riley Green in center field until Max Clark comes up or anything like that. But he's a Detroit Tiger, and he seems like a valuable member of the team uh, right now. And relatively moving forward. Yeah, I should note that Matt Veerling was the recipient of the team's Heart and Hustle Award, and I think it's deserving. He's been fun to watch all year, plays the game hard, does some cool things on the field. You look at his StatCast page, it's full of red, kind of like we, we thought it might be coming into the season. Now, he's not a perfect player at the plate. It'd be great if he elevated or pulled the ball a little more. Just go look at his spray charts. It's, it's actually interesting. All his power, his home runs, are to left field, but the majority of his spray chart, all his singles are right field. He goes oppo, which I guess you like, but he'd be a better hitter if he could elevate the ball to the pull side more often. Even if he never does that, and he's still hitting 271 with a 332 on base, playing good D, like 104 WRC plus, so he's above league average offensively uh, without even maximizing his skill set. It's, it's, it's pretty good, and I think there's still a little more in there. I ultimately think he's probably a fourth outfielder, but um, he, uh, as you said, quietly has been a quality player for the Tigers. Seems to give you a good at bad and can do a few different things on the field. He hasn't gotten a lot of flowers, and I think maybe people still, one of those guys, you just, you know there's a little more there, and if he can never unlock it, maybe he'll never get full credit. But again, kind of like Jake Rogers, he's been a player that, has done some winning things like the type of player this, this team needs a lot more of in terms of next year's roster. It's hard for me to wrap my head around what it's going to look like. <laughs> I feel like they need like a veteran hitter, but there are kind of none who really fit them in free agency. I think eventually you get, they're going to want to get Riley green to an outfield corner, but I don't think that means Veerling being the guy who takes over in center. I don't know if it's Parker Meadows. I don't know if they could get someone else. So I don't know, but I, I think he stands a good chance to be like a fourth outfielder again next season. Um, and, and he's certainly earned the right, where a lot of the other guys you mentioned that we might talk about here in a second, we, we might be nearing 
the end of our time with some of these guys and Matt Vierling. I think uh, we are, we are, I mean, I don't know if he's going to be here like five years into the future, but I think he has absolutely earned a role on next season's team. Yeah, I feel better about him than a lot of guys that were kind of slotted into that 3.54 outfielder slot over the past couple of years. Yeah. And for the record, he will turn 27 next month. And he is a, he's not eligible for free agency until 2028. Starts getting arbitration in 2025, so there's some controllable years there for for him and these other guys. So, like, this is not a complete list, but as I look at this team, and I, I, I often, Cody, th- this might not be popular, but, like, I often go back and think about the things that we talked about in December, January, February, and then when you get into spring training, it's like, you know, optimism is uh, is everywhere. But, like, we kind of looked at, based on how the team's moves were, the word wash. I, I keep going back to the wash year of 2023, and I think it's like a little bit more than a wash just because the division was so bad. But generally speaking, kind of, kind of a wash year. And there's a lot of guys like Nick Maton, like Eric Haas, like Zach McKinstry, like Akil Badu, like Andy Abanez, who, you know, we talked about Jake Rogers. Jake Rogers had an RBI in today's game and uh, also ended the inning. He technically flew out into a double play. Because Andy Ibanez had a rough Sunday. He had, had three mistakes. Yeah, so rough, rough day for for Andy Ibanez. And you know, there's there's other guys on this list. You can throw Zach Short in there if you wanted to, but he's a little. I don't think anyone actually really projected him to be like a starter or you know put that in the realm of possibility. But there's a lot of guys on here, and you you would have thrown in Jake Rogers, and you would have thrown in Matt Vierling, like into this category coming into the year and i kind of as i look at it now it's like it's kind of rogers and beer lane and i'm not even trying to put them in order there and it's kind of next tier mm-hmm. and that next tier isn't really a lot of guys that i'm confident are going to be brought back with the same level of opportunity if they are brought back at all the same level of opportunity moving forward and in the case of some of them probably less opportunity here once call-ups happen so uh it does i think we're kind of in the home stretch of some of these guys here cody oh absolutely and it it, it sucks but akil badu like you know you talk about tigers are gonna have to get serious about revamping their outfield a little bit it's gonna be riley green and parker meadows and they got to add someone else, and, and Matt Vierling is well ahead of Akil Badu in that in that regard. Now, you know, Andy Abanez, he's been good for this year, but it's hard to see like him really coming back. McKinstry, I, maybe he comes back in a utility role. Um, Zach Short might be on the roster until the end of time. Actually, I think if you go back <laughs> and look, like Zach Short was on the roster in 1901, and he's he stayed the same age. He's he's actually always been on the roster, he, and will forever. Was he a founding roster. member of the 1901 Society? Uh, like, I, uh, so I don't know. The point is, we're gonna we're gonna go through another kind of wave this offseason. It's a little bit unfortunate because we've been through the wave, the Nico Goodrums and the Daz Camerons and Jacoby Jones and. And uh, then it was the Castros and like 
Victor Reyes. We're, we're, we're looking at another bit of a purge, I think, until we get more Harris kind of guys around here. Um, I can see Scott Harris having another uh, offseason where a lot of people get whacked. And then the question is, okay, can Scott be more active in replacing those guys than he was last season or find maybe have a higher success rate in, in his replacements. And again, it'll be more his show next year, right? Like, I think, I think this next off season will be very interesting. I was talking with a few people, like I'm still not sure how aggressive they're going to be. Like, I don't think it helps that it's a bad class for free agent hitters. I could see 2024 being very much about, Colt Keith and Parker Meadows and Justin Henry Malloy, which sounds exciting now, but you run the risk of that one day becoming just another wave, you know, uh, like, like how, how much are they really going for it? How good will the 2024 team be? I don't know. Like, I think Scott will have to get creative if they're serious about winning because you don't have easy solutions on the free agent market. Now the year after that's a better free agent class. I could see that being the year where it's like, okay, this is business. But I also don't think like they or AJ Hinch certainly is going to be willing to just completely punt on next season either. So we'll have a whole fall and winter to talk about that and gain more insight on what exactly what all this looks like. But I think that's something that's becoming very apparent uh, post trade deadline is like, we're still just at the beginning of, of Scott Harris putting his stamp on this organization. There are a lot of changes still ahead. Uh, very fair. I would say that there ought to be more growth right for 2024 than the I mean there there, there has to be I think like there. the fans will be irate if there's not you yeah you know AJ suddenly will be on his fourth year as manager like you know yeah. that situation I don't he, know if that looks I don't know great how long he just, wants to f around so. yeah so it, it's gonna be very interesting my point is to like how do you not f around next year because other than Matt Chapman, like there's no one on the list of free free agent hitters. So I'm like, oh, I want that guy. And the chances of that Meadows and Malloy and Keith all come up and rake is like probably zero. Like if one of those guys has a really good year, you'll feel good about it. Um, yeah, well, so again, Jamer I, Candelario the, raking uh, for the uh, his first Jamer, couple games for look the Look at Cubs. that, Jamer. <laughs> oh my gosh. Not 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 the best look for uh, for Scott Harris, but. You know, a guy that I didn't include on this kind of list of players, which again, I admit, incomplete, was Kerry Carpenter. Because I feel like we've we've solidified a Kerry Carpenter role in some fashion for next year. I think, and I'm never I think gonna, you like, just think... DH him, man. Maybe almost like every day. Except, can Malloy play the field? Can Keith play the field? But... Well, until they show that they can hit like Kerry, with the upside of Kerry, um... Now, I'm comfortable with him in the DH next year, which brings me to a topic that, in a normal week, and I apologize again, like I was really out of commission last week, but you were there in Miami with Miguel Cabrera. He's your, he, he's occupying the DH role, even if he isn't DHing every day, right? I think we can kind of say that, and... He had himself a nice series in Miami, and since, like, what is it, like, May 10th, I might be, like, a little bit off, but he's hitting, like, 327, it's kind 10 of doubles, he's got a home run in there, you know, he's got 14 walks, He's got, you know, he's got 20-something Ks, but that's all right, you know, like, Kerry Carpenter would be getting the, a lot of those, like, he'd be the DH next year if not, you know, 
this year, honestly, if not for Miguel Cabrera. Uh, but Miguel Cabrera this year. I do feel like we, as a collective, are not kind of giving credit to what he's done basically since Detroit got into summer. Like, he, he's, he, he's had himself a nice final year, and that's included with all the extra stuff that kind of goes into being your your last year. Uh, he's enthusiastic every time he, you know, goes in front. And I saw one of them with my own eyes, and, you know, in, in front of a visiting crowd, and he accepts the gifts, and, and he's played that perfectly, I think. And then his on-the-field play is honestly better than I expected. I thought by... What is this, August 6th? I thought by August 6th, we'd be lamenting the hell out of this Miguel Cabrera situation. And you know what? There's no lamenting to be had. I think it's pretty good for a guy in his, you know, 20th year or whatever. And is in his last year. And, you know, credit to AJ, credit to Scott, credit to the support staff, credit to Miguel. It seems like they have, we talk about, AJ being able to play the bullpen perfectly, I feel like the Miguel Cabrera situation has played about as perfectly as as it could. And I just think it's worth noting that in his last year, the future Hall of Famer, the first battle Hall of Famer, one of the greatest right-handed hitters of all time, a guy that ought to be talked about like, like Albert Pujols was, but he was just playing more interesting level of baseball at that time. Uh... I feel like it ought to be talked about a little bit more, given his numbers. Uh, but you were there in Miami, obviously Miami, for multiple reasons, a very special connection to Miguel Cabrera and vice versa. Uh, you wrote about it last week in The Athletic. If you're a subscriber, you can go back and read it, obviously. But your observations on Miguel Cabrera in general, and then you know his, his last ball games playing down in, in his city, which, which is obviously Miami, this only city in which he's won a World Series and the city in which he got his big league start. You know, on May 27th, Miguel Cabrera was hitting 169, and it was like, this this ain't going to be good. And then kind of miraculously, since that date, you know, he's hitting 319. Now, when we say since May 30th, it's, he doesn't play every day, so that's only 36, 37 games. But... You know, he started spraying singles all over the field. He's mixing some doubles. He has an 822 OPS since May 30th. It's kind of amazing. Um, I've said for years, like, I don't think this is going to end well. In May, I was like, told you this isn't going to end well. And now it's like, oh, I think now they just have to get through 55 more days. Like, I somehow, Miguel and the Tigers have made this work. He, he certainly deserves credit for it. It's still not a great situation he's a dh who has one home run and can't play every day but uh this whole farewell tour has become a lot less awkward than it could be and that's a credit for to aj for managing him and his health and for to miguel for going out and and performing and i think it was uh interesting to see him in miami number one one thing i always have said about miguel is like i feel like he should be more famous than he is especially outside of detroit like he's not he's not talked about like pujols or um you know some of the uh, like he is a top 10 all-time right-handed hitter if not higher like he is 
He's an incredible baseball player, one of the most naturally gifted. Sometimes I wonder if not the most naturally gifted player ever. Like, had he been healthier? Had he taken care of his body? Had he had a little bit of a different demeanor and not as many off-the-field problems? Like, could he be the best baseball player of all time? Instead, he'll just have to settle for being a a top-10 right-handed hitter of all time. (laughs) Uh, In Miami, you saw it in full force. You remember – a reminder of what he means to Venezuelan culture over there. Like he, he is plenty famous in Venezuela. He's like Michael Jordan over there. And there were a ton of uh, people with Venezuelan roots there to see him and support him in Miami. So it was cool to like be reminded of that and to feel like, man, Miguel matters and is a very special athlete. At the same time, it was kind of sad. You see the highlights of young Miggy and you see what it is now and just the, the passage of time and how he's aged and, how long he has been past his prime. I kind of put that front and center uh, in the front of mind. And then at the same time, he went out and he had a very nice series. He banged a double against the wall. Like all that to say, I think it's, it was probably, uh, probably the best moment of this farewell tour so far. And will be hard to top maybe his final weekend in Detroit. We will see how that goes, but it was it was certainly a reminder of um, how special Miguel Cabrera is to a lot of people outside of Detroit, especially the people in his home country. The Marlins did a good job, made it coincide with their Venezuelan Heritage Night, uh, and Miguel was in a good mood the whole time, and he and he played well too. I mean, he's worth this year. This is per Baseball Reference, negative point one WAR. Uh, but I'm still going to say, like, this whole experience this year has been a net positive. Uh, Certainly, I don't, and far more I don't, so than I ever would have guessed. And I don't want to knock on wood here. I'm not going to jinx anything, but he's been healthy this year. You know, healthy, but, you know, I'm sure he's still in pain because he's just got the chronic pains or whatever. But he's been able to play out this season in a perfect fashion, and I think he deserves credit for that, and I... You know, obviously I was there for the home opener, and then he played, I think, two games of the four in in, in Texas when I was down there, and that was awesome. Like, I, I'll cherish that forever, and, and so, like, you know, credit to Miguel there. Uh, all right, let's transition here real quick, Cody, to some guys who are not, some other guys that are not established. We talked about just, like, hitters or whatever, kind of figuring them out. I, uh, so I, you know, Big deal over here. I play some slow pitch softball on Wednesdays, and uh, we had a six thirty game, and it was a hundred and five at first pitch, Ooh. which uh, it's hard to get people to play. Like we had, we needed some subs, and it's hard to get people to volunteer to play at that time and at that temperature. But we had a guy who actually was drafted by the Tigers. Uh, I won't say his name. But he was drafted by the Tigers, and we were uh, warming up. And he goes, because obviously he knows I'm a Tigers fan, and you know that I, you know do this podcast. And he was like, "So, uh, how's Matt Manning doing?" And I was like, "Uh, uh, I I didn't know how to answer it. I was like, like he's." He's Matt Manning. Like, he's shown the promise, but then it hasn't really come together. And then you have an outing where you give up six runs or whatever, but you kind of tough it out and you kind of want to give credit for that. But it's like, don't give up the four runs and one in the third innings or, you know, whatever. Uh, it, it, it was hard for me to explain. 
but he actually used to room with Matt Manning back in their lower minor league days. So, that, so you know, that was pretty cool. He asked how Tarek was go- doing, and I said, yo, yeah, coming back from the surgery, and, you know, everything's good. And Tarek had himself a nice day on Saturday. But the whole Matt Manning thing, I was thinking today, I was like, here we go. I'm going to have to ask Cody whether he has his template available for the Matt Manning uh, story, which, uh, you know, I, obviously I, I know you're not writing right now, but it, it could be written tomorrow if you wanted it to, because it's like, he did this, he did this, he didn't do this, he did that. Uh, I'm out of words, but I just thought that was funny. It's like, how's Matt Manning doing? It's like, ah, it's hard for me to explain. And today, of course, happened to be like the perfect instance of, of, of that as well. So... Like this Matt Manning thing continues to uh, to boggle the mind. Yeah, uh, I feel like I just said in a lot of nice things about Miguel, which will set me up because I I got nothing good to say about Sunday's outing, man. And I, I don't even know how much of this was Matt Manning's fault. The Tigers' game plan against the Rays was just awful. Here's a guy; his best pitch by leaps and bounds is the fastball. The Rays, yeah, they hit the fastball, but guess what? They hit better. Just mistakes. Tigers came out, Matt Manning threw 42% sliders against the Rays. I have no idea why. And they torched a few of them. And they torched his curveball. And by that point, they torched his fastball too. And post-game, A.J. Hinch said something about like, oh, yeah, you got to adjust against them, like second time around the order. But that was false because Matt Manning was throwing sliders heavy out of the gate. Eric Haas said something about, like, he just felt he could get the slider in the strike zone. Well, down the middle is technically in the strike yeah, zone. That's, that's I, not just, all. I, I just have no idea why Matt Manning <laughs> threw 42% sliders against the Tampa Bay Rays, and they made him pay. They put some big swings on him. Uh, 94.5 average exit velocity, and I think after the first two innings, it was higher than that. Really, Matt's last three outings have been bad. And, you know, I think the other – against uh, Pittsburgh, like, it was very mad. You saw some good and some bad and some, like, oh, the fastball has a lot of life, but there were some mistakes. You know, this outing against the Rays, I I didn't think there was much of anything to like, and I think it's because they didn't let Matt Manning throw his best pitch enough. But at the end of the day, I don't know, Matt Manning has the power to shake, and he didn't do it. So it's it's back to like we're just not I'm just not seeing the growth like every now and then you're like okay maybe the slider's there like maybe the curveball's back but he he doesn't put it all together consistently and you know he's he's uh been throwing pretty much you know he's been healthy he was healthy all of June came back or excuse me all of July came back late June like I have not seen improvements over these last, what, you know, seven, eight, nine starts. Maybe that can change, but uh, talk about the, the template Matt Manning story. Like, can he reach his potential? Like, at what point it's do hard, we start man. admitting, like, this is what Matt Manning is? I, I don't know. He almost hasn't been healthy enough to throw it. Like, he only has 40 big league starts, 200 big league innings. So maybe there's a window to keep improving, but – it seems like it's kind of the same conversation all the time. And uh, I just don't get a feel that he's a very intuitive pitcher. And it it concerns me. Like, talked about the hitting next year. Let's talk about the pitching next year, right? Mize, you know, Scooble, um, either they re-sign Erod or probably they spin to another pitcher. I think between Olsen, Brisky, Wentz, like you can get one of those guys to pop. But then it's like, the, the framework of that rotation, like you got to kind of count on Matt Manning, and I don't, yeah, it's like, 
Are we gonna see Turnbull again? Oh God, like... I have no idea of what. <laughs> I mean, he he in theory should be up back up here pretty soon. I don't know yeah. what that's gonna look like. That's another one. Like, I mean, I I would have more confidence in Spencer Turnbull than Matt Manning at this point, though. He's more proven. He's done it before. I feel like Matt Manning is either going to retire or like whenever his time up with the Tigers is, I'm still not going to be able to classify uh, like his Tigers career. For his career, he's worth basically one win above replacement, and like it's we're running out of like I'm not going to say we're not running out of reasons to explain him or excuse him. However, you want to frame it. But we're just saying the same things over and over again, and eventually that is running out of reasons to explain or excuse him. Uh, real quick, Cody, we wrap up here next couple of minutes. Uh, we're post-trade deadline. And today, Parker Meadows sent one. And actually, let me reset here. A uh, couple things. We did get an update on Austin Meadows. And he is still going through his anxiety treatments, and he's not doing any baseball activities. Uh, I do give credit to Meadows and the Tigers for providing an update. You know, not that it, you know, netted anything, but I did appreciate everybody being on board to be, you know, you know, be able to give communication. Like I think that's overall a good thing, and obviously it's most important that Austin Meadows gets everything right with him personally, and then everything else is everything else. Uh, Javier Baez, who did have a pinch hit today, uh, he is about to go on the bereavement list. He had a death in his family, so both the Meadows family and the Baez family, we extend our thoughts. And if you're a prayer person, extend your prayers. Uh, as we move forward to just kind of the baseball stuff, Parker Meadows is a guy. He, he just sent. He had a home run today, off like a, I don't know, almost a hundred mile an hour pitch, and he sent it into the bleachers. Colt Keith is Colt Keith, probably the most eager person for everybody to see that everybody wants to see Colt Keith. You know, Jay Hen is a guy that's obviously qualified to come in. What's next? Are we, we talked about those other guys, like the Matons of the world, which we didn't mention because not really much to talk about, but do Abanez. This next crop of guys are going to be very much relevant in how much playing time they, uh, they get. So like Abanez, Keith, and... And, and, and Jahan and Maton and this kind of mix of guys, Meadows in the outfield, which will affect Badu and, and and Carpenter and McKinstry also because he's between the two and Beerling to a certain extent. Uh, are we on the clock now for some major league debuts? I mean, I think absolutely we're on the clock. I don't know. I don't have a pulse that anything is coming imminently, but, you know, we're at the point in the year. All right. It's got to be coming. One thing to keep in mind, cutoff date for rookie eligibility, 45 days on the big league roster. If you've waited this long to call any of them up, and I know people don't like to talk about service time and what if this and what if that, but if you've waited this long, you might as well wait another couple weeks so that in, in the event any of them go off next year and win rookie of the year or whatever, you could be eligible for some compensation based on MLB's um, – the rule changes they made around that a couple years ago. So I'd like to think that's probably a factor. Uh, I think Meadows has to be coming up soon, maybe even Malloy. We talked about Keith. I, I said I'd give an update on Colt Keith in August. It ain't, 
I think those who agreed with me that Colt Keith shouldn't have skipped AAA were right. He's hitting 267, 347 one base, three homers in AAA. He's playing well. Uh, he looks comfortable at that level, but he's not tearing it up to the extent that he shouldn't be there. Um, you know, I I don't know. We'll we'll see how Colt fares over the next couple weeks. I could see a world in which maybe they don't even bring Colt, Colt Keith up at all this season. I know that will upset some people, but uh, I think it's fair. I think it's possible. Like if you're hitting 267 in Toledo, it's like, oh, that's good. Keep doing it. Get some more reps in Toledo. Debut next year. I think that would be a fair like development approach. There's more that goes into it, of course, than just batting average. But uh, and some of it will probably um, depend on the performance of other guys like Maton. So I don't know. I think in like a couple more weeks or after we pass August 15th, 16th, kind of that range to where the 45 days is in effect. Like, I mean, I think we got to get Meadows and Malloy up here. I think it, it, it makes sense. I think it's time. I agree because major league at bats are going to be those guys, best friends and Scott Harris's best friend to have more information to further evaluate this roster. And again, make the, the winter of Scott Harris. What are you going to do, bro? What are you going to do? I'm curious. I, I'm not doubting you, uh, but I'm curious what you have up your sleeve. So, uh, and, and also, like, let's be honest. Like, that's part of the juice of a team that's out of playoff contention is the prospects coming up. And, you know, it, I will give the fans credit. Like, when these games come down to the wire, like, it seems like an engaged crowd for the people that are there. So, like, it's... It, it has been fun to watch on TV, despite the fact that we know, like, the light at the end of the tunnel is, you know, rather dim. So, you know, credit, I, credit to the Tigers fans that are going to the ballpark still, because you're seeing some interesting baseball most of the time, and you're responding as such. Uh, anything else, Cody, before we jet out of here? No, I think I think that covers it. Not a ton of news this week. It seems like uh, there's always some other shenanigans going on, though. So maybe we'll get these call-ups soon. Maybe we'll have some other developments. Um, in the meantime, I know it's kind of the dog days of summer, but thanks to everyone who's sticking with us and, and sticking around watching the Tigers. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate everybody that listens. We certainly appreciate everybody who is a subscriber to The Athletic, reads your work, Cody. And subscribes to us on Apple and Spotify. Follows on Twitter at TurnCornerPod, at Cody Stavenhagen, at Kieran underscore Steckley, and our YouTube page, Turning the Corner Podcast. It is a dog days of summer, but you know what? I still have fun watching the team, and I still have fun doing this with you, Cody. And I hope everybody uh, can uh, can hear that in our voices. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I am Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great week. <laughs>